to stay here. Super, super high energy. All right, cool. We're on another one. This one's late, as they always are. They're always late. But I just, I felt like I really needed to get something out there, and that's what I'm doing. So I'm recording with, as always, as always, suboptimal quality of audio. And I say that because I'm recording just straight up with my internal iPhone microphone. And it's embarrassing. I lost my little dongle thing that would allow me to plug in my blue snowball. And if I had my blue snowball, it would be just, wow, just unbelievably great today. <sighs> I have a lot of crap going on. Anyway, I want to get right into it. I don't want to bore anyone with anything. Uh, I want to start talking about something that I learned about today, or not today, this this last week. It's called Greek Fire. Greek Fire. And I'm going to read this straight from the Wikipedia because I want people, this is this is like I, I said from before, from this, no, not from the start, but I said from a few episodes ago that I want this podcast to be just a conglomeration of all the things that I learn that could just be disseminated into into knowledge that other people can gain from. And that's what this is going to be. So, uh, reading straight from the... And there's also a few other things, but I'll get into that. Let's get into it. Greek fire was an incendiary weapon used by the Eastern Roman Empire beginning in 672 Common Era C, beginning C, whatever. Used to set fire to enemy ships. It consisted of a combustible compound emitted by a flamethrowing weapon. Some historians believe it could be ignited on contact with water. It was probably blazed... It was probably based on naphtha and quicklime. The Byzantines typically used it in naval battles to great effect, as it could continue to burn, or excuse me, as it could continue burning while floating on water. The technology advantage it provided was responsible for many key Byzantine military victories, most notably the salvation of Constantinople from the first and second Arab sieges, or yeah, Arab sieges, thus securing the empire's survival. So I, I was I was learning about this uh, Greek fire. From a podcast I was listening to, I think it was a Joe Rogan episode. It was, it was a Joe Rogan episode with uh, who was who's that guy? Not Theo Vaughn. There's a dude that he always has on Eddie Bravo, and Eddie Bravo was talking about things that had to do with, I think it was Eddie Bravo. Shoot, I might be misquoting this. I think he was talking about a bunch of just lost technology that was somehow related to the Catholic Church, and somehow the conversation got up to the topic of Greek fire. And how Greek fire is something that no one understands, but it was it's well documented as far as something that actually existed, but just we don't know anything about. We don't know how it was used and how how it was made, but it's knowledge that was lost in in the past. No, I think this was no this was this um this was with uh, George Saint Pierre. That's who it was. They were talking about ancient technology, ancient civilizations. Perfect, George Saint Pierre, the MMA fighter. I think he was MMA fighter. So they were talking about Greek fire. And just 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 to think, I've had Is my mic you? It's my mic? Oh, sick. Okay. I've been having trouble with my uh, audio quality and where exactly it's coming from. My phone is telling me that the source of audio is from my iPhone, but it's actually from the headphones. So, anyway. Uh back to my point. What was I saying? Yes. No, what was I saying? Okay, I remember. So, I've had a theory for a long time that there's been past civilizations that have technology that we just assume that because if you 
Now, we assume that these past civilizations have not advanced to our level of technology because if you believe that, then that means we are not as smart as we once were. We're not the smartest we've ever been. And evolution, as far as mental capacity, is kind of a lie. And I just mean that, I mean it in this way because I'm kind of oversimplifying things because I have a certain understanding that I expect other people to have as well, but it's not that way. If you ascribe to the notion that evolution is something that, and it's not that, oh, if you ascribe, no, it's something that that you basically get taught and you just choose to understand that one versus someone else who was taught to believe something else. But if you were raised to believe that evolution is the way that humans have become who they are and what they are, then you implicitly agree to the notion that in the past, we were not even close to as technologically advanced as we are now because there's no evidence of it as far as what we can uncover and as far as our preconceived notions of what the earth was like before. The problem with that theory is that we only know as much as we've uncovered, which we've uncovered a good amount, but everything that we've uncovered is interpreted through the lens of human evolution and the fact that we may, or not may, but that we were not ever as advanced as we are now. So, everything starts compounding. Now, the problem with this is that once you uncover something that is beyond your explanation reasoning as to how someone could have made a stride this far technologically, it boggles the brain and it gets swept under the rug and then Ancient Aliens takes over on the History Channel and it's just lost to zoology or who knows what kind of pseudoscience. So... Having said all that, lithium. Lithium is what I think was the major and main form of, uh, or the, the chemical that was used in Greek fire. I think Greek fire was used by lithium, was, was, I think lithium was the combustible. Historians believe that it was naphtha and quicklime. I disagree. I think it was lithium. I think it was lithium for this reason. I think it was lithium because lithium cannot be put out with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of water. And this was used very effectively to shoot at enemy ships. Now, the drawings and everything else is just like, ah, oh, well, there's that. We can look at these drawings and say, that's exactly what it was. I, I disagree. I think it was lithium. That's my own opinion. That's my own assumption. That's my own delusion, whatever you want to call it. But I'm sticking to it for now. And I want everyone else who's anyone uh, interested in ancient lost knowledge that's been lost to the past, whatever, to look into Greek fire and make your own conclusions. But there's that. Moving on. There is a uh, a thing called the Carrington event. The Carrington event was, and I'm reading from the Wikipedia again. I'm learning about these things and I go to Wikipedia so I have one source of knowledge base that I can go to if there was. There is. I'm probably going to start using Everipedia because it's an open source, uh, not run by Wikipedia version of Wikipedia. It's a fork that was forked beforehand. It's, it's, anyway. Um, the Carrington event was the most intense geomagnetic storm in recorded history, peaking from one to two September September first to peaking from one to two. I don't know what the oh okay 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 solar cycle. I don't understand. I'm just gonna read it verbatim, and if it doesn't make sense because of the way I'm reading it, then it doesn't make sense. Sorry. Peaking from one to two September 1859 during solar cycle ten. It created strong auroral displays that were reported globally and caused sparking and even fires in multiple telegraph stations. The geomagnetic storm was most likely the result of coronal mass ejection, or CME 
from the sun colliding with Earth's magnetosphere. That's all scientific jargon. The magnetic storm was associated with a very bright solar flare on the 1st of September in 1859. It was observed and recorded independently by British astronomers Richard Christopher Carrington and Richard Hodgson. 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 The first recorded, or sorry, the first records of a solar flare. A geomagnetic storm of this magnitude occurring today would cause widespread electrical disruptions, blackouts, and damage due to extended outages of the electrical power grid. I titled this one, because this is a little bit of history that needs to be taught, I titled this one, How Could Another Mass Extinction Event Occur? And I believe this is one example. Now, I brought up in another podcast episode previous that if plastics, there is a new enzyme that has been either created or discovered, or discovered then created, based on the discovery and synthesized, that it is an enzyme that breaks down plastics. And this breakdown of plastics would cause a mass extinction event because people would not be able to cope with the massive amount of plastic that would just disintegrate in front of their very eyes. Now, I understand it doesn't happen within a split second, but it is a slow and gradual, and there is no stopping it once it gets released, as far as if if the people releasing it were effective in the release of it. Now, that is one thing that could cause a mass extinction event because people, and I, I had a conversation with a coworker about this, saying, hey, if plastic was to start just breaking down because this enzyme would break down plastics to its base chemicals, what would you do? You would not be able to survive essentially because your car wouldn't work anymore. Well, that's all right because I could just hike into the woods. Well, the, the polymer is holding your backpack together would fall apart. No, it's fine because I have all leather. Okay, the soles of your shoes, no, my shoes are made of all organic materials. Okay, how would you survive? How would you destroy an animal? How would you survive without having the conveniences of your bottled water and the conveniences that we have? You may be able to do it for a while, but then you'd still try to rely on some previous knowledge you may have gotten from the internet. You can't access the internet anymore because the plastics in your phone that are keeping things together are breaking down. So the internet is gone. Do you know how to survive? Yeah, I have a dog. I can kill an animal. How many animals can you kill? Have you hunted before? It's not as easy as you say. How can you store these things? Do we have this understanding of this basic understanding of how to survive in the woods? No. Half of us don't. And the ones that do are the ones that will be the saviors of humanity simply by reproduction by the people who can do it. Because everyone else will die off. Not that they're going to be the saviors and teach everyone everything because no one's that altruistic. You care about yourself and your family. Once you get them together, then you can start taking care of others. But then that's just one mass extinction event that could occur if that is some bioterrorist comes through and decides to release this enzyme on the world. What's next? Here's another one. That could happen. Let's say a solar flare like this just disrupts everything as far as we understand how solar flares work. This could disrupt everything. Every piece of technology could burn up in our hands because of this electromagnetic radiation that would just destroy everything. And then once it does, what do we do? Now, there's obviously safeguards that are being taken in multiple places that have lots of infrastructure that could not actually put up with that kind of uh, electromagnetic radiation. But... The majority of people would die because this would actually impact everything from cell phones, which you need for emergency services, to standard house phones that still communicate through a central point of communication to emergency service vehicles. And then just the power grid itself wouldn't be able to handle it. 
then that would put us out of commission. Then everything in convenience stores would probably run out of their generators uh, power after a few months. Then hopefully the National Guard or some government organization that I hate so much but would probably be our only saving grace for the people who, like me, don't understand how to live off the land just yet because I'm still trying to learn actively, daily, trying to learn how to live off the land more and more, making community out here in northeastern part and sorry in eastern washington and in, yeah eastern washington i'm trying to make friends trying to make community and you know preventing something from terrorizing me in the future but there's uh there's something which leads me on to my next point next point gasifiers does anyone here listening to the quadcast today know what a gasifier is if you don't well good news for you i have something for you to listen to Ladies and gentlemen, I think it's safe to say that we live in uncertain times, especially now more than ever. I'm going to show you how you can build a device that powers a generator or a car or any kind of internal combustion engine using nothing more than wood scraps, paper, coal, whatever you can burn that's organic. And that device is called a wood gasifier. This one is a little bit different design than one you may have seen previously on my channel. That was a downdraft gasifier. This is an entirely new version called a crossdraft gasifier. Most importantly, in an effort to make these wood gasifiers and the knowledge of how to build them more accessible to people who probably need them most, for example, those that are off-grid or those who want to build one of these in a world where electricity may not be available. Again, this is just a preparation mindset. No implications, but if you're here watching this video, I think you know what I mean. But anyway, in the interest of, again, of making this more accessible, this unit was built with nothing more than an angle grinder and a hand drill and parts that I can find lying around, and so can you. And that was a clip from the random n. YouTube channel, R-A-N-D-O-M-N, and I think that's short for randomonium, uh, but that was a clip from that YouTube channel. There's a video, it's going to be linked in the show notes on how to build a wood gasifier, and wood gasifiers came onto my radar a long time ago. I think it was because, I think it was, it was a No Agenda show, Adam started talking about wood gasifiers because he was just making his move to Hill Country, Texas, and he learned about a wood gasifier from someone. Not sure how, not sure when, I don't remember exactly, but I know he's the one who turned me on to it. Then, shortly after that, I was scrolling through iFunny, like I do sometimes, and I just started seeing loads and loads and loads of ads, not ads, but submissions of... I don't know if you could hear that, but my stomach just growled something fierce. I am hungry. But anyway, I started seeing loads and loads of uploads of what it takes to build a wood gasifier, what it can do for you, why it's so important in this world that we're living in today. And either iFunny is listening to my conversations or what I'm listening to because it's spyware from Russia. <laughs> Technically it is, but either it's because of that or it's just because people who upload to iFunny also listen to No Agenda. Or something else, because they're, the, the posts that are on iFunny are strikingly similar to the posts that show up in uh, No Agenda Social, and strikingly similar to the topics covered by the No Agenda show. So either the producers are one and the same, or something. I'm not 100% sure what the overlap is, but it's, it's noticeable if you start paying attention. Anyway, that is the, uh, that is a, you're welcome right there. Everyone who wants to know about wood gasifiers, check the show notes. You'll be able to see them. I'm not going to do any podcasting 2.0 chapters on this today. You can just check the show notes. I don't have time for that. I have a lot more learning that I need to do, a lot more organizing of my life to do. I have a lot more plans that I need to get together. My son's birthday is coming up. I have to plan for that. I have a whole lot on my plate right now. 
So for now, no podcasting 2.0 chapters. I'm, I apologize. I know I should be doing this better, but that's what it is. So I'm going to get into the next segment right here, and I made a little jingle for it. You ready? Here you go. You know what really grinds my gears? I got a grind my gears segment. You know what really grinds my gears? What grinds my gears is I, I can't stand hating on the changes in pop culture. This is one of the biggest reasons why I stopped listening to Steven Crowder, why I stopped listening to Ben Shapiro, while I stopped listening to anyone in that realm, Dan Bongino or anyone in that realm. I'm not going to even mention TC. But anyone in that realm, anyone who does this hating on pop culture and changes in it. And I'll give an example. I think everyone loses their minds when Disney releases anything similar to... The black Ariel controversy, controversy. The fact that they made Ariel black doesn't, doesn't change how I'm going to put food on the table. It doesn't change how I'm going to live my life. Now, I'm saying that with a, a level of, um, what is it? What is the word? There's a word for it. Condescension. I'm saying it with a level of being condescending. And I'm not trying to be condescending because I... I, I realized that I, it grinds my gears just recently when I decided to start falling into that uh, uh, last on last episode. I mentioned the drunken uh, the drunken critic or whatever his name is, the dude who does reviews of movies and he's drunk about it and he's drunk when he's doing it. That guy did a black aerial rant and it just it started striking me. I'm thinking Disney has the rights. Of that story. Disney has the rights to all of the Marvel superhero stories. Because they bought them. Now does that mean anything about. Uh, does that mean that they're. <sighs> Here's what I'm going to say. It's it's factual so it doesn't matter what you think. They have the right to change the story however they want. Whether they care about their fan base or not. They have the right to change it however they want. Whether their decisions are misguided. Whether whether their decisions alienate their entire fan base and lose their lose them money doesn't matter. It's still their decision to make and their error to make if it is an error. So to hate on it makes no earthly sense at all, because whether it's something okay, if you're mad, I'm gonna say about because I brought up the fact of gay Superman or bisexual Superman or whatever super they. If if it's if you love Superman. Super they so much that if you love super they so much that you hate the fact that Disney is destroying your beloved character, which is super they, you've got bad priorities. Your priorities need to change. And that's as simple as it needs to be. If you hate the fact that they're changing it, you can rant about it as much as you want. You can hate on it that much but a writer will inevitably change a story that you heard when you were a kid simply because that's the nature of storytelling it's a fool's errand to try and be mad about that because you'll never you'll never succeed in anything trying to be mad about that that's that's just that's my grinds my gears segment i'll have more of those coming up because i'm i'm really enjoying this uh old man rousing grousing about things now it's time now it is time for the value for value segment. Hollywood. 
And it's here. It's here. Okay. Uh, I only have, I mean, this isn't going to be a long one, but it's, it's necessary. It's something that is part of the value for value model. It's something that's part of the podcast that I've started. And it's something that I think is necessary for the world that I'm envisioning. So let's get to my one and only boost from the mere mortals podcast. And Kyron says, I believe it's Kyron. Like, I think it's him. It, yeah, it's gotta be. It's, it's gotta be Kyron. He says, I'm getting some PewDiePie vibes with your style here, Claudio. That's pretty sick. <laughs> he says, do you watch him at all? Yes. Who does it? Who hasn't seen PewDiePie? That's, ah, he's got, I'm about to make a second account just so I can resubscribe to him so he can finally take over T-Series. That's, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm all about. Anyway, he says, it's not my style of memes per se, but I liked your use of chapter art. Very cool. And you know, it's not exactly my style of memes either, but I mean, I can understand them and I can appreciate them. My style of memes is the darkest of dark humor that is possibly possible. And I mean, as an example, I mean, I'm not doing any podcasting 2.0 chapter art in this episode, but uh, there was a meme that I saw. And the question was, what's 24 feet long, yellow and sinks? And it says a school bus full of kids. And it's like, I think that's hilarious even though it's completely horrible and terrible and the worst thing since sliced bread, but I think it's hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> he says, he says, I mostly get mine from friends sending them to me a couple of Twitter profiles and every now and then from nine gag. I actually downloaded nine gag just for that reason. Cause I thought, you know what? Let me see if there's another source of memes that I can you know pull from. But he says, the more I can get other people to filter them for me, the better, which is kind of true. But I don't have anyone to filter the the memes the way that I would like them to be filtered. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Anyway, that's uh, that's it for the value for value segment. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kyron. I, I didn't say how much you sent. Ah, I didn't say how much you sent. Um, it says that I got 1,066, but I think that's after. I think it's after all the splits. I need to find a way to get the actual true number of uh, of Satoshi's donated. But that's it. Thank you. Thank you for value for value, everyone who participated in it, even just by listening. I know some of you have your uh, streaming stats turned on because I can see those coming through, and that is much appreciated. It actually gives me a better indication of whether someone's listening or not than just standard download stats. And it's just because, I mean, I, I'm subscribed to about 15 different shows. And I have to consciously make a decision whether I'm going to listen to one or say, screw it, there's too many for the day. And I have to just say, I don't think that one will be worth my time. And I straight up judge a book by its cover, which is, it's it's a horrible feeling, but I have my streaming sats on to let someone know when I'm actually listening. I mean, it's not tied to me, but it gives them an idea. So thank you to everyone who have your streaming sats turned on. It is just as appreciated as a boost, but Thank you, Kyron, and everyone else who boosts this show. It's a wonderful experience knowing that people are donating to the show and find some value in it. Anyway, back to the show. So I have uh, two more topics I need to cover uh, before I end this podcast. It's going to be a shorter one today. Yay. Yay, everyone. You get to hear a shorter one today. And um, as for what next topics there are, here it is. Okay, so I got... um, I got turned on to the Modern Wisdom podcast about like three or four years ago. And this was because I was really heavily into the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. Uh, podcast. I listened to nearly every single thing that Jordan Peterson had put out on the YouTubes. Almost everything. If, if There's almost not a video that, I mean, there there's a few. There's almost not a video that 
I can see that was put out by his channel that you won't see has been in my YouTube search history or view history, whatever you want to call it. But I, I learned about the Modern Wisdom podcast because Jordan's daughter, Michaela, started putting uh, little sound bites of who their ads were or who their sponsors were for that episode and just whatever she thought was interesting to start making mention of in the beginning of a few of their episodes in the past. And in one of these episodes, she mentioned the Modern Wisdom podcast. And she said that, what was the guy's name? Uh, dude's name, I'm subscribed to it, Chris Williamson. Chris Williamson, uh, that he is a, a genius and underappreciated and a genius at you just you see these signs of genius and she saw that he was a genius so i thought let's give it a listen so i started listening and the the episodes that got me really really just hooked were his uh, efficiency how to become more efficient in every certain and everything you possibly could in your life and they're extreme proponents of uh, atomic habits and there he got i think the atomic habits uh, workbook or something there's this um little journal i did a I'll explain that in a second. I hate doing that noise. But there's some book that you can get on the Amazon that has, I don't know, some like habit tracker or something that changes people's lives, I guess. And I guess it's the way that it's structured and the way that it's written out helps you be way more effective and productive in the things that you do every day. Uh, But getting back to what I wanted to bring up about Chris Williamson and the Modern Wisdom podcast is I get the newsletter from the Modern Wisdom Podcast. And I get that newsletter quite often. And in this newsletter, one of the things that I pulled out of this newsletter was a quote at the bottom, and it says this. I'll read it verbatim. It says, Perfectionism is procrastination. Masquerading is quality control. That's from the Modern Wisdom Podcast. And then there's a quote at the bottom. Male depression is nearly always a result of learned helplessness. But health providers treat it like female depression and try to make men feel loved instead of powerful. That's a quote from Adam Lane Smith. And that, I mean, good grief. I've I've gone through, I may have, what is it? Bootleg diagnosed myself as having bipolar or something. Something of that nature. And I'm, I'm starting to sound like a hypochondriac the way that I'm starting to give myself these diagnoses. But I go through bouts of depression every once in a while. It's not like crippling to any degree, but it's, it's, it's a form of depression. And I can say that with a fair bit of certainty and accuracy because I've seen people in my life go through bouts of depression. If anyone listened to the translation of the long talk that I had with my uh, grandfather and my father because that was all in Romanian. If anyone listened to that episode, you'd understand that there was a lot of loss in my family quite recently uh, because I'm not very old, but there is a lot of loss in the family. And during that, I was able to witness and see what true depression looks like just because of the people around me that were experiencing it because I was young. I didn't have really a an understanding of what I was feeling. And plus, when you're a kid, you're resilient, you bounce back from things, but you can perceive what people are experiencing around you. And then now that I'm older and I've had my own share of loss and and letdowns and things of this nature, I can see that these there is a fair bit of comings and goings and waves of depression in my life. And because it's a regular occurrence, I can say that I struggle with ever so infrequent bouts of depression. And right here this 
description, very simplistic, within, I think, 10 seconds, if I wanted to read it quick enough and succinctly enough, you could express the difference between male and female depression. You can explain how to solve it, what the cause of it is, everything in a very, and it's right here in the first sentence. Male depression is nearly always a result of learned helplessness. And that's what it is. It's help, it's, it's realizing that you're helpless and that you can't do anything by your own power to change the circumstances that you're in. And then right there at the bottom, it says that health providers treat it like female depression and try to men feel loved instead of powerful. Right there, it tells you that if all you change is you change the circumstances in the man's life to return a sense of having power over a situation. And this isn't some animalistic, I need power over things. It's more of, I need to know that there's something I can control in this world. And there's something that I haven't lost control over. That will help in certain situations, if not most, and I think we can make an argument for pretty much most situations, but for now, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, I think we can make an argument for every situation, but for now, we're going to say most situations. If you receive, if you return the power to the man in the situation or in, in that is dealing with depression in that given circumstance, you will see the depression start to subside, if not go away completely. Anyway, uh, before I get into the last topic, I wanted to explain what the problem I have with the sound effect. My brother-in-law is extremely into shit coinery and he explained to me that there's a new Bitcoin coming out. It's the new Bitcoin. Why aren't you on the new Bitcoin? Don't you know about Bitcoin? Don't you know what it is? There's a new Bitcoin coming out and it's so much better because Bitcoin is slow and expensive and it doesn't work. And I'm over there just nodding and telling him you're wrong and you don't know Bitcoin, you don't truly understand it, and he tells, I know what Bitcoin is, it's slow, and it's boring, and it doesn't work, and anyway, he sent me a video, and what was the video, let me pull it, let me pull up the title for you, so you can hear what I'm talking about, it's unbelievable, it's unbelievable, where is it, here we are, (laughs) he sent me a link to a YouTube video, it's called Pulse Bitcoin Day Zero, a new Bitcoin question mark, ASIC 8, ASIC ATM and Pulse D or PLSD transformational something or other. It's got like 45 views, the video. The dude's got like 20 subscribers to his YouTube channel, which don't get me wrong. I mean, decentralized, whatever. You can you can make an argument for, well, this guy's just, just this is one video that you could find on the topic and it's just one guy. Like he's trying to spread the gospel, whatever. But then you listen to what he has to say, and it has nothing to do with what will, what, what makes Bitcoin what it is. It's got nothing to do with decentralization. It's got nothing to do with proof of work. It's got everything to do with proof of stake. It's got everything to do with another centralized currency that's just under the Pulse chain, Pulse X umbrella, making that tr- another th- tool in the arsenal of the centralized thing that is Pulse X or Pulse Coin or whatever you want to call it. It's some other shit coin. And it's, I just got, th- I got this thought that my brother-in-law is an idiot. But moving along in that video, let me get back to the explanation. I need to give you some backstory. And I got ADD probably or ADHD or whatever you want to call it. In that video, And this is a problem that I had in my initial podcast when I first started podcasting, when I first started doing anything recording my own voice, whether that was a YouTube video or a podcast, I had the problem of either saying uh or um way too often, almost to the point of someone saying the word like too often. And I got over that 
kind of effectively. I think I mentioned this in a podcast episode before and used a podcasting 2.0 chapter art to explain what I use as a subliminal message to get rid of my uhs and ums, at least significantly reduce them. But then I had the issue of doing this noise before every sentence. And I'll just say a few sentences so you can understand what I'm talking about. And I'll get into the topic while I'm explaining what I hate about it. But what I would do is before every sentence, I would smack my lips together like I was thinking hard about kissing someone. And what would happen was, and I got to slow down on this or it's going to become a habit again. What would happen was every single sentence would smack you in the face like as if like it was some nervous tick, like as if I had Tourette's or something. Not like I'm downing on anyone with Tourette's. I'm just explaining that's what it seemed like. And this dude has that same problem. And it was an unbearable 10 minutes to listen to this guy talk about something that I already didn't want to hear about. And then he's got this tick that he clearly does not care to change. So anyway, that's why I hate the noise that I made in the beginning of this episode or somewhere through this. I'm sorry that you had to listen to all that, but that's something that I hate. So I have one more thing that I want to talk about. I had a thought experiment, actually two things. So I had a thought experiment that I uh, put down into words on the voice notes app on my iPhone. And this, this thought experiment was population size and how Oh man, there's some there's some hatred on population size out there, and it goes it goes way too deep. It goes way too deep. This is this is deserving of an episode all on its own, where I can bring clips of uh, from Mo Facts. I can bring clips from uh, Hunting Hitler. I can bring clips from No Agenda. I can bring clips from YouTube articles, and I can bring or sorry YouTube videos and Wikipedia articles, and I can bring all sorts of things to this one thing and try and make a succinct message as to why population size is a myth and why it's being perpetuated by the they that everyone talks about when they say they want to kill us and they want to do this. It's the big they because there's two different they's. There's the they that want more money and the they that want less people. And if you want more money, then you need less people to spend it. Well, actually, how am I explaining this? I'm a little bit wrong in the way I'm explaining it. There's two different they's. How is it? How does it go? Um, there's the more they, the more people they, and the less people they. I'll say it that way. The more people they want more people because they see the utility in having a bigger workforce to provide more mules to do the things that you don't want to do. And then there's the they that just want more money who say that we just need better people. So if we have less people, but they're better, then everyone can share in this pool of wealth while we'll still be at the top of things because we're the best they and we just want better they in the world. I hope I'm making sense with this. But either way, the population size myth that we won't be, and I'm calling it a myth and we can, if someone wants to debate me on this, I'll actually put my thoughts together on this and actually come with arguments to the table but i'm just going to call it a myth for now and then assume that everyone else who's listening to this is of the same mindset and was reaching the same shelling point as i am where we understand that the they the the story that the they are telling us that there is a overpopulation going on is a myth we're going to say that for now so the myth that there's overpopulation is being perpetuated by them so that we can bring in all the excuses we need to further every other agenda other than what will actually be good for the planet, i.e., or for example, fake meat. 
fake meat is only being sold to the world as as a it's the only reason why it's successful in its marketing is that they've pushed the idea so hard and made it so believable and so innocuous to to just say we're overpopulated so we can't sustain ourselves on the amount of food that we're providing or or, or making in today's day and age and it's because of irresponsible uh, food practices because there's no way to sustainably feed the entire world meat which is a lie a big lie the big lie whatever you want to call it it's a lie and if you're if you even talk to any farmer, you'll understand this. Even even the dumb farmers, because there are dumb farmers, because there's dumb people, there's dumb farmers. Just because you're a farmer doesn't mean you're not dumb. I'm not being disrespectful to farmers. I respect the crap out of farmers. But there are some that are dumb, and we can just accept that and move on. Because as soon as you put anyone on a pedestal, there's no way that you could discredit anything they say, and everything they say is the gospel, and that's wrong. But anyway, they're dumb. There's some dumb ones. But even the dumb ones can explain to you that it's not hard to feed the whole world on even just the practices we're doing today. How long that'll last is another story. But anyway, this overpopulation myth, it lends itself to so many fake commodities that are doing nothing but making a few select people more rich because people will continue to perpetuate this lie because they're raised to believe it. And that raise to believe it is so ingrained. It's, it's, it's hard to believe how impressive this, it, this actually is and how, oh man, there's so many thoughts that can come out of this. Okay, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at this. Screw it. I'm going to leave it at this. I'm going to make a whole episode on this specifically because I want to talk about this with a guest that I may or may not be bringing on to the show at some point in the future. Now, I mentioned that I was going to have a conversation with, uh, or that I had a conversation with Texas Slim and that his friend whose name is David, David Bennett, came up here to Coeur d'Alene to have a meeting with me so we could just talk about the Beef Initiative and everything that we could get together with on that topic out here in the Pacific Northwest. So I just learned about, or let me let me do something here. I think that changed it. Okay, so I just learned about David's podcast. It's called Bitcoin And. So it stands for Bitcoin and everything else under the sun. And it's a great lesson. I'm going to refer everyone else to that podcast from here on out, and it will be in the show notes. So uh, under the recommendations tab that you'll start to see from now on, it will be in there under the Bitcoin listen. So anything you want to learn about Bitcoin, it'll be there. So I'm going to start actually getting on top of the recommendations so I can just open the knowledge base to everyone who actually wants those links and wants to get a consistent flow that's not just from me. Anyway, I was having a conversation with David uh, when he came up here, and we were talking about just everything, everything. And he taught me about that term shelling point and everything that we talked about him and slim and everyone else who's just finding that shelling point. We're coming to the same realization. We're coming to the same understanding that Bitcoin is what's necessary. Natural foods are what's necessary. Homesteading is what's necessary. Just these basic understandings. Homeschooling is what's necessary. But how do we teach our children the same things? Because the outside world is very good at, and by the outside world, I just mean everyone who's a pleb, everyone who's not been pilled with by whatever color pill yet. Everyone else has the opportunity to learn this other way of thinking from school. The other way of thinking meaning the ones who aren't been pilled. So, so basically, they're getting indoctrinated in the things that are not what we are learning. And it's 
it's opened up this understanding to me that what we need to do as a community of sorts is to find some sort of or create some sort of lesson plan that we can teach our children to help them reach the same understanding that we're at now. And as an example that I can give you right now before I end this episode is this. Since I was a kid, I have believed that Applebee's is the puke place. And if anyone has listened to or read any Captain Underpants books, you will know what I'm talking about. Dave Pickley or whatever the dude's name is. He put out a book, one of his Captain Underpants books, where he called Applebee's the puke place. And I'm surprised he wasn't sued for defamation or anything because since that day, I have distinctly avoided anything from Applebee's because it was called the puke place and that's hilarious to me. Every time I drive by, I think of it as the puke place. So I don't give my money to Applebee's for that reason. Now, whatever you may think doesn't matter. I just don't because of that. Now, just think about what kids are thinking in today's day and age when everyone is telling them that cows are evil because they fart. Sounds stupid to us as adults, but it's not for us as adults. And this speaks to the mindset of these people. They're not in it for the short term. We're, we're not into Bitcoin for the short term. Their priorities are different than ours. Our priorities are Bitcoin. Our priorities are the long term for our families, but their priorities are the long term for corrupting our families in this way. I mean, think about it. Think about how stupid this is for us to hear as adults. Eating bugs is good for you. And while you're brushing your teeth, there's, there's an NPR podcast out there that teaches your kids about brushing their teeth because you're a parent and you're busy. You're, you're a modern parent. You don't have time to teach your kids how to brush their teeth properly. So let NPR do it, which is fine and noble, I guess, but whatever. Let's hear what they have to say. Halfway through a two-minute recording on how to brush your teeth, a sufficient amount of time for the parent to set it up for the kid, tell them, listen to this, and walk out of the room. The NPR lady starts talking about how bugs should be eaten in other cultures and how they are and which one is gross and funny and how all of them can be eaten and they're all good for you. And guess what's bad for you? Cows. And this is all happening while something is being done in the child's mouth. So it's associating bugs with something that should be in your mouth. And as weird as that may sound to an adult who's just thinking, this is stupid. It's going to be ingrained in that child's brain. And every time that kid brushes their teeth, they're going to remember the thing about the bugs and the cows. And it will be there forever. And all it takes is 15 years for that kid who's five to be 20. And all it takes from there is a vote. All it takes from there is a choice, a conscious decision at the grocery store to not buy natural beef because bugs are better. That's all it takes. And they're in it for the long haul. And this is bad for everyone. So I propose, and I'm going to be talking to Texas Slim about this. I'm going to talk to David about this. I'm going to talk to everyone that I possibly can, whatever communications network I have put together, everyone in my close social circle of friends, everyone that I can sound the alarm on. I need teachers and I need graphics designers. I need videographers. I need people who are willing to donate time and talent. Screw the treasure unless we can find a way to make that work by crowdsourcing it. But I need people to get on board with this to help me create lesson plans. Lesson plans for everything under the sun that we believe in. 
And I mean a consistent train of thought. So why is Bitcoin necessary? What is Bitcoin? What is money? Why is Bitcoin better than any other shitcoin? Why is Bitcoin better than fiat? Why is Bitcoin better than gold? What is synonymous with gold and Bitcoin? Everything that there is to know about Bitcoin. What books should be read? What topics should be covered and gone into more depth about Bitcoin? What about other currencies that have tried and failed? Why is Bitcoin, even though it's fractional, meaning satoshis are there why is there still a fixed supply because that's something that still boggles my brain but a good analogy is well there's gold and you can shave off a piece of gold and now there's two pieces of gold one smaller than the other but there's still the same lump of gold that's a it's a good analogy it's easy to wrap your main or your brain around in a physical example but it needs to be explained better to where a kid can understand it or someone at least going through middle school so we can start bringing this financial piece back to our lives start bringing back this this let's talk about homesteading Let's talk about getting some sort of community learning event, whether it's all through videos, whether it's by just sourcing all the videos in a consistent plan from even just from YouTube. I mean, as far as YouTube is still a good resource, let's use it. If we can just rip the videos and put them on PeerTube and then give the creator of the video a lightning address and start donating Bitcoin, whatever we can do, I want to make this a thing. I really want to pioneer this or, 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 I don't know, champion this, whatever you want to call it. I want to push this forward. So anyone who's interested in sharing this idea, you don't have to share the podcast, just share the idea and get them in touch with me or with anyone that they can. And let's decentralize it. Don't make me the central point of information. Maybe we'll use PeerTube and some channel on PeerTube that everyone can upload to, or maybe we'll find some way to centralize this to make it decentralized. I don't know, some resource, something. I need to figure out who I can, I need to talk to someone who's good at decentralization. I need to talk to everyone on this, but I'm going to leave it with that. I have to, uh, I have to finish this episode and, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm signing out on this one. I have work to do today. I have my son's birthday party to plan and <laughs> I have more topics to research for next episode. I'm already late on uploading this one. Ah, it's terrible. All right. Peace. I'll talk to you guys in the next one. This, this is filled with bull crap. Can my podcast give me five stars?